little too much that needed to be said, not necessarily by means of, of exegesis and instruction, but simply by means of encouragement, uh, application, trying to make it practical for us, trying to bring that down to sort of a, a person on the street level of how do we use a verse like this? This is one of my favorite verses. Uh, how do we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to the Lord. So uh, last week I, we tried to cover it a little bit more generally about what the verse means and how we do it. This week I want to talk a little bit more specifically about the songs that we are singing and the songs that, that the scripture provides for us and encourages us as believers in Christ to use and to know and to sing regularly. Uh, so what I want to do today is to look again at verse 16 and to help us to apply it, to obey it. So I want to read this passage for us again so we hear the, the word of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. So again, if you're able, would you please join me in standing as we hear the, the holy, inspired word of the Lord. Colossians 3.12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed so thankful for your word. We pray now that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we might read it with understanding, that we might gather it up, that we might submit ourselves to it, that we might delight in it for for true and faithful are all of your words, studied by all who delight in them. So, Lord, please be our teacher, and may we learn as faithful students. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I think the question to ask with respect to this verse is, is particularly this. What songs are, is your heart singing? What songs are you singing these days? Uh, as I was preparing for this lesson today, I've also been preparing for the, the passage we're going to be talking about in our adult Sunday school class later where Paul, uh, having exercised a demon from a, a demon-infested uh, girl in Philippi, is then imprisoned for the good work that he has done. And when he is in prison, uh, he is beaten first. He's beaten, he's put in prison, and there he is, Paul and Silas, next to each other, and about midnight, it tells us that they are singing hymns to the Lord and giving thanks to him. You see that Paul, in all circumstances, is singing to the Lord. His singing was not confined to worship. It was not confined to happy times. But at all times, he had a heart singing to the Lord. And, and although that was not the context of these verses in particular, nevertheless, I think He's written these verses in order to help us have a heart like his, to have a heart that is singing to the Lord, that is constantly in every circumstance going before the Lord 
uh, and taking our cares and our concerns together to him. He says in verse 16 here that we are to sing these, these three types of songs, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, and one of the things that happens a lot is we tend to focus on that. Right? We try to sort of dial in on that and ask, okay, here are these three categories of songs to sing. What, what exactly is each one of these? How do we separate them? Okay, so we sing some of these, some of these, some of these. I think we actually should be focusing a little more on the next part of the verse. It, it's not exactly the songs, but it's how we sing. Right? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In fact, the, he says these, the same thing, in very similar words, when he writes to the Ephesians, and he says there, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, which says to me we cannot be exactly sure if he had three different types of songs in mind or if he was just sort of piling up these different terms to express the fact that they should be singing. We don't know. The scholars don't know what three types he, he means exactly. But what comes next is very clear. That whatever we sing, we're to do so with thanksgiving in our hearts. That we're to sing by faith. That we're to come, that in everything, we give glory to the Lord in, in whatever we do. And it repeats it again with thankfulness in your hearts towards God. Right? There, there's, in fact, a, a certain holiday coming up in a couple months where we're encouraged to give thanks. But this says that we are to always be singing to the Lord with thanksgiving. When we think about what that means, what, what is, is bound up in giving thanks, I think a large part of that is that it, it means that we are to be singing by faith. Right? We can't be thankful and be giving thanks to the Lord for every circumstance if we don't first believe that the Lord is good, if we don't believe that the Lord is sovereign over our lives, if we don't believe that he is faithful to his word and loving and kind towards all that he has made, if we don't somehow... Take, take a hold of these promises that the Lord has good stored up for us. But when, when we believe that, when we take hold by faith of these promises, then that helps our hearts to sing with thanksgiving. Regardless of the circumstance, we come with thankfulness in our hearts towards the Lord. To, to recognize everything that Christ is and all that he has done for us and continues to do and will do. I think all of that is bound up in the last part of this verse when he says we're to sing with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord, that it doesn't do simply to, to sing in a, a rote manner as though the singing itself were all that he was concerned about. He's concerned again, of course, about our hearts, that, that we come with joyful hearts and with sincere hearts, with gratitude in our hearts. And that means we must come by faith. We must sing by faith. The Christian is the one who sings by faith in the Lord and all that he has done. So what I want to do, again, I'm not, not going to try to spend a lot of time in this verse, but to help us apply it. And to help us apply this, I want to look at three types of songs that the believer sings. Three types of songs the believer sings. And we're going to look at the Psalms as our examples. And the three types are the song of lament, the song of praise and thanksgiving, and then the song of redemption. Three songs that should always be in the believer's heart. The song of lament, the song of praise and thanksgiving, and then the song of redemption. 
I want to look first at the Song of Lament. And I take as my example for this Psalm 142. If you want to look at that, there's multiple examples in the Psalms of songs of lament. Psalm 142 is a very typical one. And I want to take some cues for that. And I want to start with this one in particular, the Song of Lament, because I know that it might be one of the hardest songs for the believer to sing, but also one of the most necessary and perhaps one of the most unnatural, that it doesn't come naturally to anyone in this fallen world to sing a song of of Christian lament. There's something specifically Christian about this. Uh, In in each of these songs that we're going to look at, there is always a temptation in our hearts within this world to sing an alternate song. Uh, When when we ought to be singing the song of, of lament, you know, this is a song that the believer will sing when when life is hard, when we observe injustice or when we are ourselves victims of injustice, anytime you walk through the valley of the shadow uh, or when you're helplessly living through unexplained suffering. The Christian is the one who will sing the song of lament. There will be other songs that our hearts will be tempted to sing, perhaps a, a song of anger or a song of cynicism, uh, maybe even the song of, of shame. But the Christian is the one who who doesn't go those routes, but specifically learns what it is to sing a song of lament. This is one of the most unique features of the Christian songbook, is that we have this song of lament. And and lament, it's not anger, it's not despair, it's not resentment, it's different from all of those. I think we might put it this way, that lament for the believer, lament is a song of sorrow or profound sadness that is sanctified by God's presence. It's a song of sorrow or profound sadness that is sanctified by the presence of God. And it's a song that only believers know how to sing because it's a song that must be sung by faith. And even though it's, it's, it's lamenting, it's, it's pouring out our, our hearts before the Lord, nevertheless, it is something that we sing by, by faith. And what's interesting about that is when you sing a song of lament, right, when you're going through the valley of the shadow, when something bad, there's suffering, there's injustice, something bad is happening, that's often a time when you don't feel like your faith is very strong. That's part of why you are lamenting. You're going to the Lord with nothing. You feel like you're, you're just empty and you're crying out to the Lord. But that very act itself is an act of faith. Because you only cry out to the Lord if you believe that he hears your prayers. If you believe that he is, in fact, the one who is able to do something about it. If you believe that there's reason for you to cry out to the Lord. It's, it's not an act of despair. It's an intentional act of crying to the Lord, pouring our sorrows before him, and asking for his help. And I think the Bible gives us songs of lament on purpose, it knows how badly we need them because it knows that there are all these circumstances in our lives that there will be many 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 times when we need them and and if the bible didn't give us a song of lament what would we have what would we do with our times of sorrow if we weren't able to use these to sanctify it you see a a true christian lament is is not despair it's actually a a refusal to despair it's a refusal to, to let ourselves be simply buried by the sadness and the injustice that is all around us and and will be all around us in this world. But nevertheless, we say, in this world, we have 
hope because we know the one who can do something productive with all of our fears. And so if you have your Bible open to Psalm 142, let's just note a few of the features of this uh, Christian biblical lament. It begins in the first two verses. He says, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. Now again, even the very act of doing this is an act of faith. Because you only pour out your complaints to the Lord if you know that he can do something about them. And if you trust him as one who is powerful, able, and capable to do something about your complaints and and your troubles that you're pouring out to him. None of this is done in just a spirit of blind optimism. I, I think there's a realism to these songs of lament to say, yes, we have complaints. We have troubles. And God is not offended by us taking our complaints to him. He's not offended by us pouring out this whole complaint, laying it at his feet. God's the one who gave us these songs to use. And it's a uniquely Christian thing to do, to take your sorrows and your complaints and your sins and to take them to the Lord and ask for help. He says, verse 3, When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. That, those words in verse 6, that's part of his cry. That's his plea for help that he takes to the Lord. And and I think one of the beautiful things about this particular psalm and and all the psalms, but this one in particular, is that it gives us words to use for those times when we don't know where to start. Maybe we don't know how to pray and we know the Spirit prays for us, but what, what can we say? How can we come before the Lord? How can we pour out our hearts? Those words in verse 6, they're so simple. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. There's nothing, there's nothing specific. He's not, he's not taking specific requests to the Lord. He's not laying out a plan of action. All he's doing is saying, Lord, hear my cry, because I'm brought very low. That, that's ultimately the essence of this prayer and the essence of a lament to, to ask the Lord to attend, to attend to our cry. Do something, Lord. Even if we don't know what, do something. Attend to our cry. And he says in in verse 7, Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for for, for you will deal bountifully with me. See, we get, if anything, we get this little glimmer of faith there at the end of this psalm that, that you, O Lord, will deal bountifully with me. Bring me out of this prison that I may praise your name. This is, at its root, a song of faith. It's, it's the believing heart that comes before the Lord not knowing what to say. It's the believing heart that comes before the Lord asking simply, Lord, just hear my cry. Hear my cry. My spirit is fainting within me. You see, I, I want to make sure that none of us hear Colossians 3.16 about saying, you know, let us, let us sing to the Lord psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to the Lord and, and assume from that that, every, that life is always happy, clappy, and we're always all good, singing to the Lord, just, just going our way, singing a tune. 
It's not trying to say that. I don't think it is. This too is a psalm. And it too is given to us for times when we need it. I think that the world gives us all sorts of false alternatives to the psalm of lament. It tells us all sorts of ways we can deal with our pain and we can handle our sorrows and we can try to get through the difficult times. But only the Bible gives us the psalm of believing lament to the Lord. It's only the Christian who knows how to approach the Lord in the darkness and pour out your complaint before him to come to him believing that it's only at the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in our times of need. The first song that a Christian needs to know how to sing is the song of lament. The second song is the song of praise and thanksgiving. And I want to use, for my example of this, Psalm 145. Now, in making that little transition from the lament to to praise and thanksgiving, it, it sounds like those might be songs that are just polar opposites from each other. And it sounds like perhaps, okay, so the lament is what I'm going to use when life is really bad, and the praise and thanksgiving is what I'm going to use when life is very good. That's not quite true. Worship to the Lord is never based on our circumstances, but it's always based on the character of God. Which means, don't hear a song of praise and thanksgiving and think, okay, this is only for good times, this is for all times. Because it is a response. We might say lament is a response not simply to badness, but to our experience of sorrow and brokenness. And praise and thanksgiving is a response not just to goodness, but to our experience of God, regardless of our circumstances. Again, I think of Paul and Silas. There they are in prison, having just been beaten. No doubt they could barely lean back against the cell wall because their backs were so bruised and so bloody. And yet, at midnight, they too are singing psalms and hymns to the Lord with thanksgiving and with joy. So this is not only for good times, we might say. It's, it's for any time when we consider the character of God. There's two themes that, that stand out in this psalm. We'll consider them very briefly. The first theme is the reality of giving praise to God. The reality that, that this act is an act that we are to do, to, to give praise, to sing his praise, right? That it doesn't just assume that we're going to do that. It actively tells us you are to give thanks to God. You are to praise his name. Uh, we see it throughout this psalm, but if we look at even the conclusion, verse 21 of this psalm, Psalm 145, 21, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Or the, the introduction to it, verse 1, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Or verse 4, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the splendor of your majesty and of your wondrous works, I will meditate. This is a psalm that encourages us to follow its lead, to to follow its example, to say, yes, we are to praise the Lord. We are to, to sing Songs of thanksgiving, songs of worship, to extol all of his wonderful deeds, to speak them aloud. We're not merely to assume them. Do you ever just assume the goodness of the good things in your life and never, never talk about them to anybody? No. If you and your friends go and see a, a great movie and everyone loves it, what happens on the ride home? Do you just all sit there in silence, all assuming that the movie was good and everyone knows that? 
course not. You talk about it. You delight to, to bring up what were the best parts, right? How the characterization was just so and all these brilliant little thematic moves, right? You, you talk about the movie. If, if you're not talking about it, it's probably because the movie wasn't any good. But when we see something that our soul delights in, we, we praise it. That's just what humans do. Think of going to the beach and watching an amazing sunset over the ocean. If you're watching it there with your significant other, you just watch it and then quietly stand up and walk away. Of course not. You praise it to each other. You say, even if it's as simple as pointing and saying, look, how beautiful. How beautiful. It was so, it was so majestic. It's so peaceful. It's serene. Whatever it is, you praise it. That's, that's what a, a human does. That, that we're just wired this way. Uh, the, it's the praise that is itself the completion of the full enjoyment of the thing. Right? When our hearts see something they delight in, we praise them. And how much more when we see the Lord himself, should we not be actively engaged in praising and extolling his goodness? So the first theme is simply we do it. The second theme is the greatness of God himself. There is something here to praise. There is something noteworthy and praiseworthy. Specifically, verse 8 and 9, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Verses 13 and following, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in season. And he goes on. On and on. See, what he's doing there is what he said he was going to do. First, he says he's going to extol the Lord. And here he is extolling him. Naming the goodness of the Lord. Proclaiming all that he is and all that he has done. And this is, this is of course, the heart of the psalm. If God is not praiseworthy, then the rest of the psalm doesn't make any sense to say he'll praise him. Uh, but, but if he is praiseworthy if he is gracious and merciful towards all that he has made. And what can we do except to praise him? What, what, what miserable people we would be if, if we sat here and, and beheld the goodness and the glory of the Lord and simply did nothing. And our hearts were not somehow moved. Not somehow moved to, to respond and to act in response to what we sing. Now, this is the song of praise and thanksgiving, but I've said there's always a, an alternate song. There's always something else that our hearts are going to be tempted to sing. Uh, the songs of the Bible are songs we sing by faith. We learn to sing them. But the world offers all sorts of alternatives. And I'd say perhaps one of the, the alternate songs that our hearts are tempted by is, is the song of compromise. That's what the world would like us to sing, is the song of compromise. And, and the words to that song go something like this. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive above average recognition. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Also, O my soul, bless my nice car. O my soul, also bless my paycheck that I got this week. Uh, we're happy to, to praise the Lord, but we don't praise him uniquely or specially. We, we sort of add him to the pantheon of, heart, of God's that our heart is, is praising. We say that God is, is good. Yes, he's good. We praise him. He's one good thing among many good things in our lives. Jesus says, worship the Lord only. And him alone shall you serve. 
The spirit of the age says, worship money. Worship respect. Worship your leisure hours. The Song of Compromise says, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. I wonder if I can do both. Can I, can I have a little bit of each? You know, Sunday, obviously, I worship the Lord. Maybe the other gods of the age get a different day. That's the song of, of compromise. Think of the song, the actual song. Uh, the actual song, Happy Birthday. Everyone has sung Happy Birthday. One of the neat things about the song Happy Birthday is that that song works no matter what name you put in it. That's why we use it all the time, because you can put anybody's name, you can put five people's name, and the song still works as long as you get the, the timing right. The song of praise in the Bible is not like that. It only works with one name. You can't take, well, I'll take God out and try something else and see if it fits. It doesn't work. You cannot sing the song of praise to God and anything else. It must be God alone. There was a, a church I read about that had a, a practice, and I, it wasn't clear if this was something they did in worship or in maybe a, a small group setting, but they had a sort of a liturgical practice that they did together, which I thought was interesting. They would have a time of casting down the idols. And someone in the church would volunteer to stand up and, and they would proclaim... Money is not king. And the whole congregation together would respond in unison, Jesus Christ is king. And someone else might stand up and say, My work is not king. And the congregation together, Jesus Christ is king. Maybe a kid stands up, Getting straight A's is not king. And the congregation says, Jesus Christ is king. It was an act of, of together as the church sort of casting down our idols. Right? recognizing that, that there are temptations in our hearts to worship something other than the Lord. Whether it's money or work or rest or, or respect of your peers or, or a relationship, and we simply say out loud, those things are not king. Jesus Christ is king. You see, to see, sing the song of praise, to sing the song of thanksgiving to the Lord is, is about reordering all the loves of our hearts. Right? We sing it to the Lord because he's worthy to receive it, but it, it has this effect of helping us, helping us reorder the, the priorities within us, in our soul. They don't merely express the feelings of our heart. They do that, but they also shape them, even as we sing them. When you sing a certain song often enough, loud enough, repeatedly enough, your heart takes on the shape of that song. Right? If we sing the song of compromise long enough, your heart will take on that shape. But when we sing and extol the Lord long enough, our hearts take on that shape as well. So we sing the song of lament. We sing a song of praise. And the third one is the song of redemption. We sing as believers the song of redemption. And for my example of that, let's look at Psalm 107. Psalm 107. The song of redemption. It's one of the fundamental songs for the Christian. And that is praising God very specifically for his gracious act of salvation and redemption. And Psalm 107 is really great as a model of the song of redemption because what it does is it begins, the first three verses are this call to worship. It's a call for us to sing this song with them. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, the east, west, north, and south. See, it's a call. Sing this song. Let the redeemed of the Lord join their voices with this. And then it gives us these four, it has like four verses or stanzas or little vignettes that it presents. And each stanza describes the Lord's redemption of, of his people from various stages of sin or lostness or folly. Uh, and the fact that there's four of them and it gives them kind of back to back encourages us, I think, to, to make this story our own. Maybe you see yourself reflected in one of these stanzas or, or maybe you need to alter a few details here and there to see yourself, but it, it kind of invites us to do that. These are given as examples to help you in your life sing the same song of redemption. Look at the four stanzas real briefly. The first one starts in verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Verse 10 is the second one. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the word of, the, of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. Uh, verse 17 begins the third one. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities they suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And then the last stanza begins in verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. Uh, in verse 26, their courage melted away in their evil plight. And, and so each of these stanzas, it describes a, a different story, but somebody who is lost without God, whether they are uh, either lost because of sin, they're simply wandering and they have no idea what they're doing, they're foolish because of their sin, because they've spurned the words of the Lord, uh, or those who are simply overwhelmed. But no matter the condition that it begins with, no matter the, the sin or the lostness, any kind of description, they all work towards the same conclusion. They all have a statement of what the Lord has done for them. Uh, so, uh, they're crying to the Lord. The crying is first. And then how the Lord has delivered them and the conclusion on the goodness of the Lord. So we notice everyone has the same sort of chorus in the verse where it says, uh, verse 6, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 13, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. See, each one of these stanzas, it begins with some description of lostness, sinfulness, iniquity, folly, and then they cry to the Lord. And here's the turning point of the story is that the Lord has redeemed them. And they end with this conclusion, reflecting on the goodness of the Lord in some way. So verse 9 ends the first stanza. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Uh, the second stanza in verse 14, he brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. That's another repeated stanza. That each, each story encourages us, no matter what the Lord has redeemed you from, what your particular lostness, brokenness, and sin has looked like in your own life, no matter what it was, if you cry to the Lord, he redeems you. 
and then let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, his wondrous works to the children of men. And see, he gives us four pictures of this because it's meant for us to make this personal. It's meant for us to reflect on what did our lost condition look like? What were the specifics of our sin, our lostness, our foolishness? And how can we then praise the Lord for delivering us out of it? And then the the psalm closes with this conclusion in verse 43, at the very end. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Whoever is wise among us, let's attend to these things. Attend to how the Lord has worked in your own life to, to humble yourself considering your sin and then to praise the name of the Lord that he has redeemed you and to give thanks to him with your whole heart. Now, again, what would the world have us to sing about this? I think the alternative song here that we're tempted to sing might be the song of pride. That we would look back on our own lives and, and simply say, look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've done. Alternately, we might sing the song of, of pure despair. And really, pride and despair are just two sides of the same coin. It's the coin of self-trust. And if things have gone well, we trust in ourselves, we're proud. If things have gone poorly and we're trusting in ourselves, then we despair. But it's the same thing. It's the same thing, really. But the Christian is the one who doesn't do either of those. We don't get caught up in pride, in sinful human pride, and, and say it's all on us. But we also don't get caught up in despair and sing, woe is me. The, song, the Christian is the one who proclaims that, yes, in ourselves we have made a mess of sin and sorrow, but God is the God who brings life out of death. God is the one who, who looks at our brokenness and he redeems it. He gives life. Right? The, the temptation is not new. Even Deuteronomy warns the people that, that when things go well, they will look at them and they will say, you know, look at what my hands have done. Look at what I've accomplished. That's the song of our world today, isn't it? Say, look at what my hands have done. And the good things in my life are thanks to my wisdom, my wealth, and my work, and therefore they're all mine to enjoy. It's the temptation of stealing the glory and stealing the credit. It's the song of me. And the Bible confirms that the song of me is a miserable song to sing. The psalm says, whoever is wise, attend to these things. Attend to the God of redemption. This is a song that we sing by faith. By faith that the, the, the goodness in life is not of our own doing. Left to ourselves, we make a mess of sin and folly and lostness. But God is the God of redemption. God is the God who takes the mess that we make and can bring order out of chaos and bring life out of death, bring salvation out of sin. These songs that we sing, they're, they're powerful. And I'm reminded as I think of, of the songs of the scripture versus the songs that we're tempted to sing of this world that the songs that we sing are a function of the kingdom that we belong to. We belong to the kingdom of this world, we sing the songs that it teaches us. But Colossians says to us that, that God has rescued you. He has redeemed you out of the domain of darkness. And he has transferred you by faith in Jesus Christ into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are those who now live by faith in Jesus Christ. And we give glory to God that by faith in Jesus Christ we've been saved. We've been saved out of our sin, our folly, our lostness. 
We've been saved out of our pride. All the things that we did that brought death on ourselves, we are saved from them and we're brought now into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And you know what? The music here is much better. The songs of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ are songs of, of, of humility. They're songs that we sing by faith. They're songs that we sing with thanksgiving in our hearts for who God is, for what he has done for his people. All of the songs, regardless of what there are, and there are others given to us in the Psalms that, that we haven't touched on yet, but these are songs that every Christian will, will need. Songs we need to have in our, our songbook for life. And so let's sing these by faith and, and to do so only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for you are worthy to receive it. We pray, Lord, that you would teach our hearts to sing. Teach our hearts to sing your praise. Lord, let us thank you for your steadfast love, all of your wondrous works to the children of men. Make us wise. Help us to attend to these things, to consider your steadfast love, for it is from everlasting to everlasting, further than the east is from the west. And so, our God, we praise you and we give thanks. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.